Welcome to The Trend. This is The Trendy Place with Justin A. Williams. And I'm here to bring you awesome content from all across the spectrum. Today I've messed up my opening, but that's because I was laughing at something that our guest was saying. But that's okay. Today our guest is a friend of the show, and as always, Phil Provence. He is a professor and he's also a poet. Uh, and just a general kind of expert on many things, as you guys know. We've talked about Hillbilly Elegy on this show with him. We've talked about economics. We've talked about World War II, World War One. And today we're going to be talking about education. So we're going to be talking about whatever comes to mind, whatever comes up. There's a lot of things that are, that are pertinent to education that Phil knows about, but also that we want to know about. I work in education myself. I come from a family that works in education. And as we know, the education system in this country is not ranked as high as you might think it is based off of the kind of old notions of America being the best at everything. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Phil, what's up, man? Oh, well, I'm just excited. I'm excited to be back. You know, like I love the show. I love I love the fact, Justin, that you give me a form. I've been on a few other shows and, um, you know, sometimes I feel like I can't be as serious with, with on some other shows. I feel like I have to kind of like uh, be entertaining. By the way, I, got I mean to be entertaining. That's not what I mean. But I'm just saying, like, yes. sometimes I feel like the need because of the different audiences and your audience is, is always a, a little bit more like, you know, uh, elevated in terms of what they're what they're interested in hearing, um, I think, from from what we've discussed. So I feel like a little bit freer to get like more serious, you know, and not not to say any I'm, I'm happy to be with everybody. And I enjoy being entertaining, too, and telling crazy stories and stuff. But you know, I like all of it. It's just sometimes I'm like really like, man, I really want to say this thing, but I don't want to talk over anybody's head right now. You know what I mean? So yeah, but, yeah. But, but with you, I could just say the thing, and you know what? Let people like, like we were talking about yeah, cats I mean, and kings. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think uh, the best thing to do is just to assume that your audience is intelligent enough to, if they don't get it, they'll ask questions. And if they don't sure. ask questions, then sure. uh, I don't know if it was Descartes that said this, but it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's definitely a stoic kind of saying where a sharp mind will ask the questions that they're too, that, that, that they are, they are secure enough to ask and other people will be too insecure to ask questions because they feel like they already know. And, um, you know, you want to, you want to definitely, uh, I mean, at least I know from for myself, looking at our audience, uh, we have audiences pretty diverse from all around the, around the world. I mean, we've definitely pivoted from talking about mostly urban issues to talking about issues that run the gamut, uh, like we're going to do today. So, yeah, well, so, uh, yes, but again, we're, we're talking about like, you know, uh, I always... With with the people I collaborate with, with you, with other hosts and stuff, I always check in on what the statistics are and, and what people are into. And like I said, I feel encouraged by the the audience of your show because they're very much into the learning aspect. I, I'm encouraged with the entertainment aspect of other audiences. But like I'm saying, like I always like to try to key in what I'm doing to the audience, and I like I like I like this audience for yeah. it's 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 hunger for intellectual content. So, hi, guys. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But hopefully I say some things that, uh, that, that eh, you know, maybe take the top of your head off. Um, one of the things Justin just pointed out is this longstanding uh, self-recrimination in the United States over, um, <clears throat> over our education system, our, 
our our normally our K through twelve or pre K through twelve, we're like, oh, it's it's in shambles, it sucks. But you know, um, oh, you know what? I actually happen to have the book here. <laughs> or no, no, this isn't the right book. Never mind. Anyhow, but there are. I, I wish I could quote the actual author of the paper, but there's actually a statistical analysis from the past decade that shows that all yeah. of this since the 1980s has been a bit of like possibly well-intended handwriting. I'm not, I'm not really willing to go so far as to say it was necessarily well-intended, but it's been hand-wringing and here's the, here's what the analysis showed in a nutshell. Um, <clears throat> that basically the, the, the upper quartile of American students, K through 12 socioeconomically, outperform the vast majority of the developed world. The problem is that the lower three quartiles underperform, under right. lower three socioeconomic quartiles. So in other words, if you are poor through working class, which is a roughly 60-75% of the American population, you're going to underperform. Okay, if that's your parents' background. If you are in that yeah. upper 25% of middle class through billionaire, you're going to overperform the rest of the planet. So what does that mean? I didn't know that. Really yeah. The hang, hand-wringing, oh, our education system is failing our kids. It is, but our economic system is probably failing our kids worse. Okay, because mm. there's a trap here. There's a... It's, you know, it's what it's what Foucault would call the racialization, right, of groups of people and where resources are devoted, right? When we talk about biopolitics, like if you're part of a certain group, you get certain resources. If you're part of another group, you get certain resources. And the resources aren't equally divided. And the, the, the foundational sin in public education, right, is actually a super ironic one, but... The, the, the foundational sin is basing school funding on property tax. So if you okay. end up, if you have a poor community with lower property values and therefore lower property taxes, but in many cases, a larger population of students, okay, um, there's kind of a chicken and the egg thing here. Are you poor because you have too many kids or do you have too many kids because you're poor? Because there's been some biological analysis that shows that when people are under greater stress, they tend to reproduce more frequently. Same with all animals and plants. Okay. And right. It would be nice right. if I could have my mom here because she could speak to that, having been a former professor of plant biology at Rutgers. But um, anyhow. Well, we'll have to get her on next time. If she'll agree to it, she's kind of a reckless. Anyhow. <laughs> but, uh, she, she, you know, she's retired. Now. She's, you know. But anyhow. The point is, okay, um, <clears throat> whether whether the chicken came first or the egg, in other words, whether the too many kids made you poor or you were poor so you had too many kids, okay, um, right. the fact of the matter is that you're going to have a higher population of students in the K-12 through age range in communities where there's less funding for the school. So there's less pie to go around. So necessarily, you're going to have school buildings falling down and, 
you know, you're going to have like schools with outdated books, this, you know, who can't afford fully, fully licensed teachers who are just running off of subs who don't maybe have a, a, enough of a background in education to really like structure a course, you know, according to like, you know, the, the latest research and principles. I mean, you have, you have these problems. Um, your administrators may not exactly know what they're doing. Um, what have you, okay? And it's because you're underfunded. It's because the property taxes. Now, here's the irony, right? The, the, the implicit irony here is that in the communities with the best funded schools, not only is it that the student population is less because we know that the more affluent you become, the fewer children you have, right? Or maybe you become more affluent because you have fewer children, whatever, okay? Kids are expensive. I have one. It's nuts, okay? Like, he, like, wants a VR set for his birthday in April. And I'm like, oh, God. You know? Like, yeah. but we'll figure it out. But I only have the one. Imagine if I had, like, ten. Like, I couldn't, right. you know? Well, why is that? I mean, like, you, 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 you said something about biology, right? Like, I know mm-hmm. for a fact that... Um, the uh my mother talks about this all the time about how dynamics shifted in her neighborhood education wise starting as early as uh the 1970s how when you know her school was her school was a mixed race school and it was in queens and it was sending kids to 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 college regularly and um you know all of a sudden the dynamics of the neighborhood shifted in terms of socioeconomics uh, and race, and then all of a sudden you had an explosion of kids in the school, just just more kids in the student body. But you know why is it that stress kids, and tax. poverty? Right, but why is it that stress and poverty now are also factors? I mean, you know, you need you need a you need a biologist to speak to that. Um, what okay. I, you know, I've heard this from my mother, her. Her theory yeah. is that when an organism is under stress, it, it tends to reproduce more as a factor of like as a as a basic function of biology in in okay. trying to diversify its gene reorientation in the next okay. generation in the hopes of survival. So in other words, there's a survival payoff for doing this, which is that right. you're more likely if you have a bunch of different offspring for one of them to survive and carry on your genes. So it's like hardwired into every organism to like, well, if you're, if you're an animal to get frisky, if you're a plant to like, I don't know, pollinate and what have you more. But that, that is the thing is that the more under attack the organism is, I guess it's been shown. And again, I haven't seen this research. It's come from my mother's hand, but I trust her. Right. Yeah. The more the organism will reproduce and you know, but, it's you know but on the other hand right we also have the the countervalent um problem of we also know that the malthusian trap and this in a way it reinforces it in a way it doesn't malthusian trap you know malthus says that like if we feed the poor the poor will only reproduce more we know uh, that that's not actually true because of of modern Western history. The more affluent people became, the larger portion of the population entered the middle class, the less they reproduced. And the way you see that is, I mean, it's, it's very easy. It's within living memory. You see people mass reproducing as they always had up to the greatest generation. 
And then what happens? The baby boom happens. Why? Well, there are a couple different factors. They have as many kids as their parents had, but more survive because of, you know, um, antibiotics, which is the big thing, right? Like you finally have like consumer available antibiotics. And so basic childhood diseases that in previous generations, even a hundred years ago would have wiped out many kids. The kids are fine. So now you have 10 kids, right? So, I mean, and, and in a way, biology took care of this before. In a way, many of the children would have died, okay? But even as fucked up as our, as our healthcare system is, right, it does allow for more children surviving even in the lowest rungs of the socioeconomic strata, okay? And what that creates, well, there's a couple different reasons they would want to do that. It's the same reason why they, they you know, why certain portions of our of our population in charge don't necessarily want abortion or you know birth control the the, the real reason it has nothing to do with god it has nothing to do with philosophy i mean i could go down and say okay there's an enlightenment argument for why there should be limits to that right but that said okay the people who really just don't want it at all, who don't think that it should be part of it, has nothing to do with their religion. I mean, religion is always like the scapegoat for real, much more sinister reasonings. And the, the sinister reason is this, you want to overpopulate the country because if you do, you drive down the prevailing wage. And if you drive down the prevailing wage, it's cheap to hire workers, okay? This is why the Bill, Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation likes to give free computers to children in developing countries. Because if you can just get them to know how to work on computers, then you don't have to pay people in America or Europe to do it. Okay. I mean, I hate to be wow. so okay. cynical, but that's the truth. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard other people say this. I've heard other people kind of talk about how there is um, – there is – what we once considered to be conspiracy is now really obviously fact. Um, and um, what we once considered to be the thing of one side, right? That this is like, you know, growing up for me, whenever the reason why I've been a, a, a liberal in my whole life is because when I was in high school, the people that were perpetuating these these things about education that you said in terms of driving down wages and making sure that people, there was a multiplicity of people that could do cheap labor. All that kind of rhetoric came from the Republican side when I was in high school or middle school. And, um, you know, now I, I think that there is equal evidence that you see it on what you may call the liberal side, right? Traditional, uh, kind of, uh, new wave technologists or business leaders uh, who might dress and look and talk like liberals are just as involved in the kind of race to the bottom in globalization, uh, if not more than you see on the right. Well, I so think I think I think, I think we're in a different we're we're in a we're in a shifting paradigm. And I don't want to go too yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I I just wanted to say that because I think it's interesting the that that even in education, right. Um, uh, it's, it's one of those issues that you don't hear talked about until the election season. Mm -hmm. And that's why for someone like me, who is a political scientist, 
Um, you know, I look at it, even though I'm a teacher, I look at it from a political lens because it can be just as polarized. Well, everything, uh, everything is political, but our, our political paradigms are yeah. shifting, aren't they? Right. Like, so what yeah. we're really coming up against, and I kind of saw this, I, I don't know if I commented on one of your previous shows, but I kind of saw this coming, which is that with the Biden Harris election, okay, what we really had was in the past 20 years, right? You had now effectively, you're going to have at least uh, 12 years of Democrats and eight years of Republicans. Okay. The last, last election, the last term of George W. Bush, Obama's two terms, Trump and Biden. So it's weighted toward the Democratic side. And it doesn't, you know, American business doesn't really have any principles. They don't give a shit. Okay. They just want to yeah. be where the right. consumer is. So if the consumer right. is is like, oh man, I want everyone to live and let live, that's what business is going to say. They don't. Get it. So right. and 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 they are they are they are parroting social liberalism without it really making any difference to them. They're doing it, people, just to sell you widgets. Okay. The good news is you're going to need widgets to live. So. The bad news is you're going to have to work as a slave to get the money to fucking buy the widgets. But that said, okay, like, and by the way, well, no, maybe, okay, that's an insensitive thing of me to say. It's, it, you know, the, 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 the accusation of wage slavery is always kind of like a problematic accusation, right? Because it's not real slavery, but... Okay, let's put it this way, okay? You're going to be stuck in a situation where you're going to be earning money to buy the widgets you need to live and never actually earn enough money to get out of that situation. So, yeah, fine. Okay, so that's what that is, okay? Is there a word for it? Traditionally, wage slavery. Um, maybe a false maybe a false parallel, right? Like, that's like a bad terminology. Right. But anyhow, the point is, they don't really care. And I thought, you know, okay, so when they see that the shoe is mostly on the Democratic foot, the corporatists are all just going to become Democrats and put their money behind Democrats. And we see that happening, right? Like, um, does the Democratic Party right now really give a shit about the fact that inflation's like out of control? No. No. Do they really? I mean, look, Joe Biden just broke a strike. That shouldn't be happening, right? No. Right. No. But like the idea is as long as we just like as long as we continue to parrot the the social awakening, right, then maybe everyone will be cool with us continuing on with the status quo economically. There's a problem with this, which is that the socioeconomic problem is knotted in, right, with 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 a with a with the political problems, right? So when we say, in other words, when you say socioeconomics, okay, you're saying the social problem, i.e. everyone's identities, everyone's need to feel recognized, okay, and accepted. And, right. and you know, right, right, right. to be able to move in, and live in the society without, you know, experiencing prejudice, right, is tied to the economics, and if, and if you think that just, you know, a corporation like, you know, 
Disney or Facebook saying like, oh yeah, no, we're all for your, you know, your, your self-realization and your rights to do that is enough, then you've missed the boat because the, the, the racialization of groups within a hierarchical society is the mechanism by which the hierarchy is created. In other words, somebody has to be at the bottom in a hierarchical society. Capitalism, by its yeah, definition, is true. hierarchical. Okay, hierarchical. you can't and have a capitalism. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we, right. you know, we could even right. you know ask ourselves: Is is competition necessary for human societies? I think on a previous show, like I mentioned, a book that says it's not. But right. let's set that aside. Right, right, right. What? Let's get back to education. Now we can get to education. Why, what does education have to do with this? Well, education is part of how we predetermine who's on the bottom, who's on the top. Okay. The okay. further the, the further up right. toward the top you are, the better your education. The better your education, the more likely you are either to be on the top or to be directly serving those who are on the top, right? And when you directly right, serve right. those who are on the top, you can make more money from doing it, right? When you're on the bottom, you serve the people who are below the people who are below the people who serve the people on the top. Right? Right. And so, and it's even, and, and, and here's the funny thing about strata, right? You can have a lawyer who's always one strata above, or a school teacher who's a strata above, or a doctor who's a strata above the people they serve, right? But they'll never be at the, at, at the highest strata, right? It's always one strata up until you get to the very top, in which case you're strata below. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of like this this pitch point of of, of inversion, but the the whole system is set up to do this. And part of the problem is yeah. that we don't take the time to really think about like what matters to us. Like we have a real opportunity here because of COVID, because of the early retirements and education. For those of us who really care about progress, right, um, to infiltrate, okay, when, I, when I'm talking about like Gramsci and infiltration, the idea is this, right? If you want social progress, you're not going to get it from shouting outside the doors and banging on the doors, right? You have to get inside. It's the only way it's going to work, okay? Um, if you can infiltrate, if you can pass for the oppressor, right, and then from the inside, yeah make some you're not gonna you're not gonna fix the whole world but you can fix a few little things here and there and hopefully if enough people are willing to do that and commit to that then there's progress right and part of it is you know well i mean i would i would i would i would i would hope that there would be progress but what often happens is and i, I think this is like i think wb du bois was was talking a little bit about education uh, when he said that you have the talented tenth, and and what happens with that talented tenth is, you go from being outsiders to insiders, and when you're insiders, you don't care about what you cared about when you were an outsider. Yeah, so there's that, you're there's saying, the risk. There's the risk of the infiltrator being turning the infiltrator, right? The the infiltrator being right. turned, but. Right. You know, I mean, because when you get in there, the mechanism is that, that your your bread is buttered by the very thing that you, you would be seeking to undermine. But I guess, right. so on an individual level, you know, he's got a point with that. On the other hand, right, 
I think there's a certain amount of genetic determinism, right? Biological determinism that he's, well, not genetic. He wrote before genetics, but biological determinism that he's resting on there. I don't think there's a, okay. there's a quote unquote talented temp. In fact, I don't think there's. You don't think there's a talented temp? I don't think there's a, there's a, a tenth of any group or humanity generally. Well, that's, well that's maybe he's wrong about that person. Uh, maybe he's wrong about the percentage. No, 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 no. no. That, I think uh, I think there's a talented 100. In other words, here's my idea, right? Like, you think? If, like, wait, by 100, you mean you mean you think that everybody across the board is equally as talented as anybody else? Has the potential to be absolutely. The, the human mind, okay. Like, like if you took the brain of a person. So why don't who, we get this? So why don't we get outcomes like that? Well, because it has to do with the distribution of resources, Justin. I just told you, okay? If, right, if right, so, population... right, so, so I think... Continue, continue. Okay. If a tenth of your population gets all the resources, gets all the good educators, gets all the people who, you know, talk right. about things like I talk about, like, hey, let's imp- implement, right. you know, liberation pedagogy after, you know, Paulo Freire, right? Like, by the way, Paulo Freire, Brazilian philosopher from the mid 20th century who came up with this idea of like, maybe we let the students teach the teacher and determine how they're going to teach themselves. And he did this with with what what I guess you know other theorists would call the subaltern, right? Like people who are so low on the strata globally that they almost don't even exist on the map, right? And he was doing this teaching okay. literacy to indigenous peoples in Brazil. Okay. okay, and he eventually has to flee Brazil and go work in other parts of South America um, because his views aren't really accepted after certain political back back and forths in Brazil. But anyhow. But he comes up with this book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. I would highly suggest it's a difficult read. If you want to hear about the idea is that the lower you are on the totem pole, the more, for for lack of a better word, the man, right, tries to tell you what you should think. He doesn't want to teach you how to think for yourself. He doesn't, you know, try to inspire you to say, okay, um, you know, how do I think critically about this and come up with my own determination of what's really going on? No, he just says, here are the facts, memorize them for a test on Friday. Okay. Which is half of what, which is, which is also what you do in most schools, even if you're in private school. I mean, I I went to private school, private school. A lot of it was about memorization too. I went to a private college. A lot of that again was just rote memorization. I, 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 I'm totally with you in terms of like, I think there definitely is a class strata that creates the situation where, um, people are not able to develop themselves or be developed based on their maximum potential. But I also, I, I, you think, you think it's a problem across uh, class stratum, but again, Justin, okay. There's, I hear you. Okay. And part of it may have to do with how we devise our curricula. Right. But, and, and that crosses across, but I guarantee you, you had at least a couple teachers at your private school yeah. who were like, listen, the facts are great, but let's think, okay? And let's let's really yeah, like focus yeah, on our higher order thinking skills. Yeah. Now, I went to one of the the, right. the, the the poorest high schools in the state of Pennsylvania, in the poorest county in Pennsylvania, okay? Um, uh-huh. Why did, why, why have I done what I did. 
okay, well, part of it was that my mother went back to school and got her PhD and like, you know, my parents like managed to, they were part of like people who were lucky enough to rise a little bit, you know? Um, yeah. Another, another thing was that I was just always very committed to my own education and interested in it. So I would read voraciously and I would, you know, when I didn't get to take the, the grammar class, um, in high school because of scheduling, I just borrowed a grammar book and read it over the summer. And I don't think many students sure. do that, but I also don't think, you know, and, and I, I hate to like, I hate to, to perpetuate that conservative mythos of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Cause that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like the idea of doing that occurred to me in a way that maybe it wouldn't necessarily occur to every student. I don't know. Okay. Um, but do you know, again, do you know the reason why? But do you, yeah, deep it, down it, inside, have, do you ever consider? Oh, well, well, I think, well, what I'm trying to say is that, like, yeah. if you have a situation where you have a kid like yourself, right? You, you, okay. So let's say we took like you and. Do you have any siblings? Oh yeah. And see, that's the thing. Okay, my siblings so, are all my siblings are all comparable in outcome to me. I mean, you know, okay. my brother Mike. Okay. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Why am I forgetting that? Yeah. I've met Mike. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, what I mean by that is what I mean by that is. So if you take a cohort of people that are uh -huh. in a family, uh -huh. I think that that creates a culture that creates a culture that helps develop you into a person that would do something that a normal student would not do with a grammar book. Well, that's right? entirely right. That's entirely but right. Like that's, that's socialization. Right. Exactly. Right. So how can we improve education so that we are not just doing memorization, but we are also socializing them, but not in big S, big brother terms of socialization that everybody considers evil. What about a socializ using socialization in a good way? Right. Well, see, and, that's, and I, and that's, I, that's where that, the educators come in. That's where that's where we need, you know, when President Obama and I and I and I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid of thinking he's some sort of like, you know, Paragon of goodness. Okay. I mean, sure. um, and nor are any of us, right? Like, I think I said on another show, don't always buy the shit I'm saying, but, um, or maybe buy the shit I'm saying because I'm the guy who says don't buy the shit I'm saying. Okay. Um, but the idea is public service. And there's a real opportunity here because of the pandemic for people who have always wanted to be active and you know, change the world if only just a little bit to really get involved in in what's going on with kids. Okay, and I think what what I what I'm getting at is that we have to go. We have to be Promethean about it. We have to go and get that information and bring it back in mass. Right? Like we're you know we're not talking about just like stay where the money's the most like go to a good university known for education if you can get in or even a second second rate one known for education or whatever get an education degree get licensed and get get you know or get certified for higher ed in some way you know get a terminal and go back and and find out the the methods of teaching that are going to kind of break start breaking, start cracking that nut. Why would it occur to me and yeah. my family? Well, okay, so a couple different reasons. For one thing, my mother's family were immigrants from Austria, and they weren't. Like, the family in Austria was not lower on the totem pole. It's just when they came to the United States, they were. 
So that's part of the reason why is that the kind of like views of like, oh yeah, you know, like, do you want to buy a book instead of a toy? Sure. You can buy as many books as you want. And then I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, oh really? Like, so like you'll put a check on how many toys and video games I can have, but there's no check on how many books. So, okay, great. You know, or like, you know, my mom betting me a Super Nintendo that I couldn't read all of Jurassic Park by the end of my third grade summer. And I did, right? But that was the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so things like that, the value in education makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think, I think, I think what, what I like about what you're saying is that, um, obviously, what what made you unique to some of the students in your school is something that could have made maybe anybody unique exactly. in that situation, right? I mean, exactly. to have a home where at least one or some guy, guardian figure values education and has the tactics, right, the mind, mm-hmm. the cleverness to convince a seven, eight-year-old who probably just wants to eat pizza and play video games to not do that. Right. Right. And that comes down to, I think, um, look, people don't want to use culture when they when they when they say those things. That's fine. But it comes down to some level of outer school education and outer school um, kind of socialization into the dynamics of, hey, if somehow we as parents, uh, we as older brothers and siblings can take the responsibility and look at a young child and say, what's going to maximize their potential? Right. Is what's going to maximize the potential them being on the iPad all the time or them watching TV all the time or them just being alone to their own devices or regardless of where how much money you make, regardless of uh, where you are in life. Regardless of where you right. Regardless of where you are in life, there are things you can do because my parents grew up in poverty, too. My mom grew up in uh, abject poverty. It, it, after uh, a certain kind of years when our neighborhood changed. Mm-hmm. My dad started off in poverty, right? But my dad was saved by people who were not educated at all, but they had a very simple, simple uh, belief system, which is we got to get the hell out of here, right? Yeah. For my dad's for my dad's family, we got to get this, this kid out of here. We love him. We don't want him to perpetuate his children living in these same neighborhoods, right? And my, for my, for my grandfather to my grandmother and then my mother, we got to get out of here, right? You know what? I, so I, I, I'm really, the, the, I'm really skeptical about if, leaving it to if, the family, though, Justin, because when you have, when you have people who are on the lower strata, right? They may be working right. three or four jobs, right? Making minimum wage. Yeah. They're working constantly. Right, they, wanna, they barely even get any time with their kids. The reason why the kids are left to their own devices is because the kids are they're either alone or they're with an older sibling. And sometimes the older sibling is holding. No, I, I, I know that. And I agree. I agree. But what I'm saying is that I, I'm not I'm not I'm not criticizing the family. I'm not criticizing any form of family union. Yeah. It's the it's a modern era. There's a lot of different types of modern families that work, uh, whether they're single parent homes or or double parent homes or whatever the case may be. I'm not criticizing that. And I'm not criticizing parents that are not there that much. Right. Again, my grandparents were not able to be there at all that much either. Yeah. Right. But I do feel, I do feel that there are ways if you put effort into it, right. That any, that, that many parents, if not any, uh, can provide 
a socialization so that even if they 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 are not going to be the best academically, even if they are not going to go to the best school, there is still a spark of interest. I think interest in things, right, wherever, whatever those things are, is the beginning of being able to do, be successful. But see, right? this and is what complicates I hear you. Okay, but I think I think part because there's a lot of kids that just don't have motivation. Well, sure. Right? A lot of the sure. times when people don't do well is just a lack of motivation. And I think you said earlier that things across the strata can change. You don't believe in a talent the tenth. If you don't believe in a talent the tenth, there's got to be some variable that can carry everybody. And for me, I think that variable is motivation. But I I feel like part of it is it's our education system, and it's the people who are who tend to be right. Um, tend to be attracted to working in it, right? Um, it traditionally, like I remember being an undergrad, and the people who would go English ed, right, were yeah. the people who couldn't hack it as full majors. Like they couldn't read all right. of you know Ovid's Metamorphoses in two nights. Okay, they just they just mm-hmm. kind of like they they flunked out of the full major. I mean, this is the irony of it. They flunked out of the full. English major, so they went English at. And so I saw this right. time and again, and it's like, you know, um, and, and that was a turnoff. It was like basically the C students all wanted to go do this just to collect a paycheck, you know? But I think right. I think that was a that was a an incorrect assessment. I should have been at that young age being like, oh well that's that's for the failures. Instead of saying that, I should have been like, oh my God, look at who's going to be teaching the kids. Holy fuck, that person's stupid. Okay, like, why is that? Why am I not doing it? Why am I not taking social responsibility here? And I think part of the reason why anti-academic attitudes are perpetuated in the lower strata uh, socioeconomically is because of who is there to teach our kids who are running the schools. I mean, in New Jersey, 15 years ago, there's this problem of like non-existent high schools having administrators who were collecting paychecks for administering schools that didn't exist, right? I mean, we have a problem with lychee kind of administrations, right? Um, administrators who are coer- coerced by corporate uh, interests, right? Like people who, you know, there's a great episode of Daria from the late 90s where the school sells out to Coca-Cola Corp. Well, it's not Coca-Cola Corp. Yeah. I mean, in real life, it was Coca-Cola. I was a high school student in the 90s when all the soda machines popped up everywhere. And and farewell, uh, decent eating. Everybody was eating junk food out of the machines. And it was encouraged by the school because right. they were getting kicked back, okay, because they were underfunded, right? But here's my point, okay? Um, if you, okay, have better educators, okay, who aren't making school an attack on the student, who are making, who are using the best practices right, to right. Encouraging and create that atmosphere where the understanding is, I don't need a bell curve of grades. I'm not comparing you guys. Every one of you can get an A, okay? I'm not assuming that right. I need to like stamp right. you guys grade A, grade B, grade C, grade D to do a favor to corporate America. Right. How corporate America ever got the idea into public educators' heads that they should be fucking doing this is beyond me because they don't owe corporate America shit, okay? They're, they they work right. for the government. Right. Why do they think that they need to like be selecting who does what in the long run? They don't, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know what? Go ahead, risk your job on it. I'm sure 
you, the corporate taskmasters of this country are not going to come out and make sure you get fired from your, your public high school, okay, for you actually taking a position, a radical position, that every human mind is valuable and viable and able to be a genius, okay, that there's no such thing as negative education. In other words, there's no such thing as a lack of knowledge. Human minds don't just not contain things. It's like if you take anyone at any age, there's something in their brain. Now, whether or not those things that are in their brains are the things that are valued, that's another story. The other question is whether or not the things that are in their brains are valued based on the preconceptions socially toward them, right? So, like, if you had right. um, a janitor who could do, you know, advanced calculus and solve an advanced physics problem, right? Nobody would ever pay any attention to it because he's not the right people for them, right? So we also have that problem, right? We have classism that's involved here, okay? It doesn't really matter how fucking smart you get. There's classism, right? And there's only, only certain people are going to get the opportunity to do the cool, fun, big things. Other people are just going to be like, oh, well, it's nice that you know that. Um, go back to mopping. Okay. Um, and I think yeah. that's another issue too. And that's part of the discouragement. In other words, if you're in the lower rungs, those who buy in end up by words for what not to do. In other words, they couldn't find work because they learned things that would have been valuable if they had been higher up, you know, on the ladder, but they weren't valuable because of their background. They were just shut out. Okay. So therefore, you know, yeah. they had they, they never were able to really be viable as workers. OK, you also have issues with just how because of poor funding, poor education, when you have like classes being taught by substitutes who really don't know anything other than just they're pleasant people who have never done, never committed violent crimes and therefore can pass the um, background checks, you know, um, and they really may not even be experts in their you know, subject, but they're there, you know, teaching whatever it is. Okay. Um, and collecting their, the true paycheck collectors. Right. Um, you know, and even the best meaning ones, right. They may just be sitting there saying, well, I don't know funk all about teaching you this. So I'm just going to go with this curriculum that I ripped offline. It's, they don't think about how it's draconian. They don't care about how they're, you know, class stratifying their students, how they're discouraging some, how, you know, certain certain ways of, of, you know, structuring assessment are going to seem like attacks on the students, how forcing, you know, in a literature class, for instance, right? If the teacher isn't doing the work of interrogating what texts they're going to use, those texts could be yeah. wildly an attack on most students. Okay. A great example of this. Okay. Like, um, there's a scene in the great Gatsby where they're driving yeah. into the city. Right. And they okay. see this rich African-American guy being driven around by a white chauffeur and the narrator reflects, mm. wow, that's crazy. Only in New York. Now that is a fucking offensive passage. Okay. Like I know you've read the great Gatsby. Were you offended by that passage? I tried to put it in its context. I mean, I don't expect F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, to necessarily be uh, the 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 warrior of uh, progressiveness. No, but then again, I do I do appreciate I did appreciate 
the some I mean, it's like for me, it's like things that from that era are just like Heart of Darkness by Conrad, right? Like if for its time, it's actually relatively in some ways progressive, but overall, considering the context now, yeah, I mean, it seems it seems uh, blatantly racist. But then again, like uh, it's hard it's hard for anybody to divorce themselves from the milieu of values of their time and 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 anything. I I, I when I read The Great Gatsby or or um, I even even you know I'm not I'm not expecting Shakespeare right. Shakespeare somehow was able to be so prescient. Uh, with Othello and other and and the uh, and, and so? other stories, well, in, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Right? I mean, it's interpretation, right? I mean, okay. just as you look at like Fitzgerald, and you say like, I've heard people talk about Fitzgerald in that very same scene and say like, wow, like for him to put a white person driving a black person, regardless of what the critique is, is phenomenal for racial relations, right? I've also heard people say like. That it's a farce, right? He clearly means it farcically. He doesn't mean it to be taken seriously. It's a joke for his audience. Regardless, I still think that, you know, back to the education piece, I think that there is a level of kind of what I'm hearing from what we're talking about today is that there is a level of kind of farce that is happening with education, where from what I found as being an educator, there are people in education who just kind of want to scream and yell and impose their will. And yeah. then there are other teachers, and this might be that Mr. Ho- uh, Mr. Holland's Opus moment or the Dead Poet Society moment. Other yeah. teachers that say, you know what, regardless of how young or troubled this person might be, if I just sit them down for a second and listen to them, just listen to what they have to say, mm-hmm. you build clout, you build a rapport. And they are much more apt to do an assignment for you than if you just go in there and say, why the hell is no one doing the assignment? Well, right. And that's just, uh, that's just and, the and, and, that. I'm saying I'm saying something even more radical than just being a decent human being and caring about your students, which you probably should do. Like, in other words, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, being a decent human being gets you further than I think a lot of educators decent uh, sometimes try. Well, and, and that's right, okay? And I'm saying, okay, but that's the first step. More radical than that, okay, why do we why do we both know The Great Gatsby, right? Okay, there's a questionable section in that book that may be uncomfortable to some students and actually kind of like turn them off to the whole study of literature. And certainly, you and I, as students with, you know, you in a private school, me in a public school, right? We would have never read this book except for it was forced upon us, right? Like basically, we were in school and Probably the teacher. Not. Said, no, I mean, not at that age. You're going to read this book and we're going to talk about right. it. We're like, okay. And seriously, that passage bothered me. Okay, so if it bothers right. me with my identity, I can only imagine that it must bother many kids with other identities than mine. Okay. Okay. And it and and if it bothered me, and it also bothered me about the, the the depiction of women in that. Okay. Right. Right. So, and and that's actually and and of all the books, I actually like. I would have to say, you know, like that's probably one of the ones that it's not so bad, and I kind of liked it. I'll admit. Okay. Like I like the overarching story, which for me is more about like a guy trying to. <sighs>
trying to effectively do more than just get his girlfriend back. He's trying to reconstitute a family that he thought he had. Right. And right. his failure to do so because he doesn't understand humans. Okay. And I think that's a bigger picture. Right, and I think right. Nick, Nick is one of those people. The reason why he values it, I'll just say this is because he is actually like gotten two. by the end of the novel, he's gotten two women pregnant and has to keep fleeing cities because he's a derelict ne'er-do-well. Okay. But my, my interpretation of the great Gatsby aside, the point is, when you have a, a system where even the best, best meaning of teachers is like, okay, we're going to read this book now, and that book ends up being offensive, right? You've got a problem. So what we need is we need a radical reassessment of how we deal with these things, right? Like it may be so that we can't we can't deny certain empirical facts in certain classes, right? Like. In other right. words, maybe scientific fact is always just running theory, right? But those theories need right. to be understood, and they, they are a list of the closest thing to fact that might exist, okay? You know? Right. And there's no way to get around that. But and, and it may be so that there would be some definitive facts about standard American English, and I may be able to frame for my kids, listen, you don't have to use this language. You don't have to read the way I read, Okay. But this right, is kind of right. like a shibboleth of power. If you understand the code, you understand how to infiltrate. So we're going to learn the code together, okay, so that I, I feel comfortable right. that, like, you've been exposed to the code. And if you feel like using the code, then you can. Or hopefully I've helped you, you know, do that in some way. Um, I'm not comfortable as an educator with grading. I'd just as soon give everybody an A yeah. as long as they turn something in. And the other thing, too, yeah. is... With reading, we know that student self-selected reading and reading with students, even older students, is more effective. So what do you do? Because you can't just let everybody right. read, you know, read different books because then how do you have a discussion? Well, the thing is, have everyone collectively choose the books. You as the educator, you already know how to think critically or you should. OK, hopefully you didn't get all the right. way through your professionalization here, whether it be for post-secondary right. or secondary ed and not know how to think critically, that's what you're modeling. That's the important stuff, right? You're modeling the respectful discourse. You're modeling the critical thinking, right? Right. Let the kids pick the texts. You don't need to necessarily teach, unless unless somebody in your state capital is like, listen, you got to teach this, okay? In which case- you No, but, that's, that, 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 but that, that, that does happen though. Well, sure. Right? Like, it'd be great. Look, look, I, I, to I totally agree with you. And I, I think that as an educator, I think we need to radically reprocess um, mm -hmm. how we have totally bastardized the Socratic method, right? We have totally bastardized how in cultures from either the tribal to the uh, more urban, um, there have been uh, successful ways of educating people that come from uh, long before the high school system in America or right. in the West that were successful, that taught people uh, values, but also taught people how to handle tough situations that they're going to encounter in life. That's one of the reasons, if I can just say, that I don't want to just throw out books that are problematic. I think we have a problematic world. It's good to learn about problematic worlds through the literature that's within them, within proper context, sure. right? With a teacher that is skilled, not a teacher that is just just there for a paycheck or just to right. flunk out of a major, as you said, but a skilled 
tactician. But here's the thing with being a skilled tactician in a public school system. And I'm sure you know this because I'm sure you've had, you, you've done it yourself and you've seen teachers like this. There is the administrative part of it. There is the fact that you will have somebody who will observe you, that will look at your, critic, your curriculum, they will look at how you teach, they will say what he, this person is doing is radically different than what every other teacher is doing, and just by the nature of that, we don't like it. Wow. Yes, it'll educate kids better, yes, it'll get kids where they need to go, and yes, it'll change their lives for the better, but you know what? Petty, pettiness, arrogance, and and the 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 criteria that the administration creates sometimes is often not at the behest of doing things that are new and different. Well, but here's the catch twenty two for this. Okay, so the the guidelines, okay, of Common Core, which most administrators are are wrapped into, whether they want to be or not. Okay, actually do promote the very things that these core structures would promote. So, in fact, they would have no complaint. The only thing that comes in the way is if a wonk in your state capital, say, you know, a wonk in Trenton, a wonk in Springsfield, a wonk in Harrisburg, right? Uh, a wonk, uh, you know, in the state capital is like, oh, you got to read Othello because I love it. Okay. Right. And this person's never taught anyone in their life. They know nothing about education theory. They know fuck all about, like, even the Common Core, which they helped, you know, like, demand happen. Okay. They don't know anything about right. any subjects. They just think, oh, it's got to be because, like, my grandfather said it's a great play. And it's like, okay, fine. Right. You know what? Go to your kids and say, listen, some asshole says we have to read this, so we're going to read this. But then we're going to read all the stuff you guys want to read, okay? Like, and you, I think you can very viably, like, maybe I wouldn't use the word asshole teaching a high school class. Maybe I would use that teaching a college class, right? Like, going to a college class be like, listen – Somebody over in the admin building, an asshole, decided that I'm going to teach this to you. So we'll do this, but then we're going to do this other stuff that you guys want to do. Okay. The thing that I don't trust, because I know I was banked, right? And I know I have my identities, okay? And I know I have my privileges, is I don't trust myself, even with the best of intentions, to determine what the texts are going to be. I think the kids should determine. I think they should think about what's important to them in life, okay? Like, get them engaged with what's going on in their communities, in society. Be like, listen, I want you guys to go watch the news and come back to class and be like, I think this is an important issue. We need to talk about it, right? And then you guys are going to – I'm going to help you figure out how to find things to read. And then you guys are going to find them and you're going to argue with each other. I mean, not argue in the sense of like – an argument, right? But you're going to, you're going to defend a position persuasively and try to get the rest of your classmates to agree. This is a book you chose that we should all read together. And we're going to read it in a group Mm -hmm. and we're going to, we're going to, sometimes we'll actually literally be reading to each other and sometimes we'll be discussing and sometimes we'll be annotating out loud. Right. And, and we're going to do this together. And you know what, what do I lose as the educator? Oh, I guess I have to put in the work of reading some books I haven't read before, right? Like, so when you get to the point where you're like an English educator, either on the on the, the collegiate or on the, the K through 12 side, mostly the, the, the secondary, right? The high school side, you've got this background of books, like a whole long sheet of books you've read in your life at this point. You can just like throw anything. And you see, you can just be lazy. Like if I want to teach the red, if somebody's like, oh, give me a book about the Civil War. I'm like, okay, fine. Red Badge of Courage. Ha ha. And I remember enough of it that I can teach it. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. banking, right? And the laziness yeah. causes yeah. the banking. Now, here's the deal. 
Okay. The student came to me and said, oh man, this is an amazing novel. I really think this is a great way of like thinking about X, Y, Z, right? And they convinced mm -hmm. the other students, mm -hmm. why should I be resistant to reading this new book? Or was I really just there to collect a paycheck? Right. I mean, I have students yeah. right now, even non-institutionally, who come to me with like new short stories that I've never read before. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I love this thing. Like, why have I never read? What is this beautiful, wonderful thing that I've never seen before in my life? Um, yeah. I, well, you know, I don't think that we're the I don't think we're the first people to ever assert these ideas. And I think um, what we want to also think about is. How how do we convince our superiors to be to get along with these kind of ideas? Well, the thing is, the right? best I way. Mean, like, the best way. We 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 just need, yeah. we need a listen. Here's here's the great people to convince, right? Like so, creative writing students, right? Like people with MFAs, right? Listen, we need you right. to teach high school English. Okay, forget about ever getting the tenure track at whatever university, there are just simply too many MFAs out there, even PhDs in most social sciences and humanities, right? There's just too many fucking people, okay? Unless you've got like some sort of nepotistic advantage, unless you, you know, like know somebody on the editorial board at the New Yorker who's gonna publish all your shit and therefore make you like noticed, okay, by a hiring committee, you're not gonna get tenure. But you know where you could get tenure? You get tenure at your local high school. So go get your licensure. Okay. And then you can teach if you really wanted to teach or were you just getting into education so you could be like, you, you, you wanted the social cachet of it. Right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Or, or teach right. what's the difference between a 12th grader and a college freshman? Three months and a big party. 15 pounds. What? 15 pounds. Maybe. 15 pounds. Yeah. I said 15 pounds. No, I, I like that. We're going to come up with this say right now for this very purpose. I mean, you're right. Like, I'm not the first person to say this stuff. I'm not, you know, Paulo Freire, you know, or even before him, we go back to Rousseau, who was basically like, let kids learn from themselves what they want to learn, basically. Okay. And let's just be there as yeah. kind of like, you yeah. know, when, when kids first learn how to bowl, how they have the, the, the bumpers on the side so the ball can't go in the gutter, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a good educator mm -hmm. is just the bumpers to keep you off out of the gutters, mm -hmm. right? I mean, but like, let's, right. what's the difference between a high school senior and a college freshman? It's a big party, three months and 15 pounds. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, developmentally, yeah. and it's true, developmentally, there's very little difference. Okay. In the long run, you know, like, could we say a, a college senior and a high school freshman are the same? No. Okay, but there is this kind of overlap here, and we can get away with a lot of similar yeah. things, right? Um, and the radical core, the, this radical core structure, again, in many regards, and there are people who have written extensively about this, right? Um, two guys uh, that I'm reading. Right. Oh God, I wish I'd brought the book with me. But there, there are people. There's research out there that these things actually do support the common core. So you're not actually going against the admins. The only thing you'd be going against, especially like if you're in my field of English, is you just are like, no, I'm not. You know, like like you have to still teach whatever book by fiat they decided you're going to teach. I remember when I was in high school, um, there was a question as to why we had to read Shakespeare, and my honors English teacher put it this way. She's like. And here's the funny part. Honors English was American English, right? And and we get to this, the next unit and she's like, okay, so now we're going to read Shakespeare. And we're like, 
Shakespeare's not American. What? <laughs> She's like, it's state law that I have to teach Shakespeare play every year. And just framing it that way, we're, we were like, okay, fine. Like, we'll bite. Like, we'd, we'd rather right, right, right. something else, but sure. I mean, I guess if you're compelled. And I think kids are generous like that. I think they realize that, like, teachers are not gods and, like, teachers have their taskmasters. And the teacher's just like, listen, I know it's asinine. I don't want to have to do this to you. I don't really want to do it to myself. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with Shakespeare. But the thing is, right. a lot of stuff even today that's published that's of of uh that's questionable and i think no one should have to read anything that they're not going to plug into in other words if something's offensive to you or if something if you can't relate to something or if something just pushes you out you shouldn't be forced to read that okay you shouldn't be you shouldn't be right you know and, and, and it's even beyond that because you know reading in itself Granted, in a college course titled like American Literature, right? You could safely assume that you're going to be reading texts and not watching movies, right? But I'd say, broader mm. sense, why is high school English always a lit course? Well, here's the honest reason: most of the people who who get licensed to teach studied lit primarily instead of writing or composition or rhetoric. Okay, that's why. Okay. <laughs> so they end up being like, yeah. um, but the thing is in that setting, what is a text, right? Like Paulo Freire makes this point. It's like, could it be a photograph? Yes. Could it be a movie? Yes. Right. Like, why is it that we have right. to read, uh, we have to read the book necessarily. I mean, as long as you're getting the skills and that's universal design for learning, that's UDL, right? Like the idea that if you ramp okay for someone who needs the ramp the ramp is going to be useful not only to that person but to other people too right like to the guy who's like trying to like push a cart of books in through the door it's going to be a lot harder if he has to go up steps right he does, he's not in a wheelchair but the ramp is helpful okay so that's udl and the thing is do i want my students to be under the gun reading 100 pages every night no you know, listen, some of them are going to have after school activities and friends and social lives, and that's normal and healthy, and not sleeping is unhealthy. Okay. Not sleeping is that corporatist mm -hmm. bullshit of like just enforcing your will and being like, I'm going to grind you into the ground, stay up, and then get on the bus at six in the morning. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a power mm -hmm. play. Like, why wouldn't I just say, like, listen, right. you want to watch the movie of this? Go ahead. Maybe you don't have time. It's fine. As long as you're thinking critically about it. Bring us some notes, you know, bring us the time signatures. Maybe this guy wants to read the book. It doesn't matter. We can all talk about it. It's the same story, more or less. Okay. And we'll talk about the differences, maybe right. why the two, why the author chose to do it the way they did and why the person who did the movie chose to do it the, the way that they did. And isn't that productive, right? Um, or maybe you want to listen to the audiobook, right? However you want to ingest this. Okay, um, maybe instead of reading uh, the maybe instead of reading the Inferno, you want to look at a series of pictures by Salvador Dali based on the Inferno and interpret those. Mm. Fine. I also like the idea yeah. of as your summative project a uh, persuasive essay on why what grade do you deserve and why do you deserve that grade. That's good. That's good. Right? One. Like, 
just, you know, persuade me. But the thing is, it, the secret is like, as long as you do the paper, right, I'm going to give you a good grade. Like, right. if you tell me the reason you deserve an A is because like space aliens beamed you up and did like all kinds of experiments on you and it was a body double, right? That was attending class right. and they were just like tuned out because they were a space alien inside a fake body. Uh, persuade me. I'm open minded guy. Maybe you can muster evidence. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. No, you, you're skeptical. I think you're skeptical of this, Justin. I think you're skeptical. I think you, you know. No, no. I, I look, look. I, I toss and turn between many different perspectives in terms of how to teach, how to best educate, how to best get reach people. My, my, but my main. Like, like I said before, right, somebody's main variable, right, could be whether they're motivated or not. For me, my main variable is, am I just getting through to the student, right? I mean, there are many times when I have a, I think I have a eureka idea in terms of what I want the student to learn or get to. And then it's just, you know, not everybody is um, as interested in that topic as maybe some other students. So you have to, you can do two things. You can just hammer at home and yell at them, or you can make an adjustment. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, um, I, I, I definitely see the, see the, the, the merit in, 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 in what you're saying. I, I just hope that, I just hope that what, what I, what would really need to change in the, the parts that we need to change is, 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 is getting, a different kind of education for our educators. Yes. Right. Well, I mean, if we're going to change, if we're, if we're going to, if we're going to change the education of students to be what you're saying, I think we're going to have to change some of the hearts and minds of some educators too. Well, and we're getting there. Okay. Um, you know, yes, but that's where, that's where the, the infiltration, the Prometheanism, and even just suggesting things like, hey, by the way, like a whole generation of educators who are the people who had the old ideas just got forced retirement by COVID, okay? And many, right. many states are like, I know here in Illinois, they're just like fucking begging for the next crop of like Pell licensed teachers to come out because they can't get enough, Okay, like the high schools are all backlogged with jobs. Like they they didn't have enough teachers before the pandemic. Now they need even more. And the question I'm having is like, you know, hey, you've got a terminal degree in English, and you're never going to get that tenure track. Why don't you just go get your Pell? You know, like just go do it, like, yeah. and then you'll get to teach. And maybe someday that yeah. that professorship you want will open up. And nobody said you couldn't, like you know also you know adjunct or or, or get a, a or lecture during the summer okay so it's not it's not one or the other and you know by the way like then you're getting you're, you're teaching somebody right you're obviously getting some experience there it's not exactly the same in convention like high school classes rarely have syllabi right you don't really have to write those and you right. kind of you kind of a little bit more off the cuff but there's a lot more teaching that goes on than just like two or three times a week right for an hour so, um, but right. I think right. you're right. Okay. How do we get, how do we get the ideas to the educators? Okay. Um, but I mean, you know, and, and yes, I get it. Okay. Like 
I'm learning education theory from, I, I have the benefit of learning education theory from uh, the department, right, that Bill Ayers was formerly part of. Okay. <laughs> like, so that's going to shade how I learn. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to learn education from these people from like people who were colleagues with and, and who were interested in the same things, right? Like, um, you know, um, like Michelle Parker Katz or like uh, Christopher Miller. Okay. Like these people at UIC, it's like, I, you take a class with Christopher Miller and he's basically like, I want you to draw things. You don't have to write anything for me. Draw things and write this wonderful book uh, written by a Japanese woman who went to a school with no curriculum. <laughs> And it's amazing and you learn so much because the whole thing is he really frees you to figure out what you want to do, right? Like, And he does say – I remember a last class I took with him. Okay. He was like, I don't really care what book you do just because you read the one book I was going to assign. Just find a book and tell me what it is and, you know. And, and then like – and that way I can determine whether or not it's apropos to what we're studying, which is education policy. Okay. And then if it is, or more or less, or if you can make the case that it is, I don't really, you know, and then you, you just tell me like what it is. Like you can either record it audio, video, you know, you can write it down, whatever you want to do. And of course I wrote it down because that's what I do. But I guess, how do we get our educators educated like that? Well, there's, this isn't just isolated to my department, right? Like there are schools all over the country who are doing this. It's, we just have to get people to understand, Hey, there's an opportunity here. And while you're at it, all of your radicalism, okay, like we, we millennials, we're getting on an age, right? Like we're not getting any younger. We're like middle age now, right? Like, I mean, you're, you're what? You're 30, 36? Yeah. Are you? Yes. Yeah. I'm 39. Yeah. 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 No, I'm 36. Yeah. We're, we're, right. we're, we're not, we're not like, you know, wild young radicals anymore. I have spring chicken. You know? Like, right. so, but the whole thing is right. there's an opportunity here to do the social progress radicalism thing and make sure that you have a nice, stable life. Okay. It's like never were, was it a more perfect time. Okay. For your social engagement, for your stars to align. Okay. And, and I think that's why, you know, um, I'm attracted to it. You're attracted to it, right? I think many more of our listeners should be attracted to it. I think, you know, um, I was yeah. thinking about uh, it, Joseph Priestley, one of the great luminaries of physics in the Enlightenment in Britain, right? The guy discovers oxygen. You know what he did for a living? He was a tutor and he taught high school. And later he taught a little bit of college, wow. but yeah. I mean, he was a lifelong educator. I mean, he actually came up with a theory of grammar, of living grammar. Like that's he mm -hmm. back in the in the 18th century. He was like, listen, usage should prevail. OK, when you're teaching people usage, there's still educators today who don't get that. They're like, they're like, whom, whom. And you're like, who the fuck uses who? OK, like, I mean. I mean, right, yeah, right. informal, informal essays, maybe. Okay, fine. But like, don't you sound like a jackass just walking around like, Justin, to whom are you speaking? <laughs> you know? right. But the thing I want to ask you about your right. kids, let me throw this back at you, okay? Now, research has shown that self-determination 
by the learner, right? Giving kids ownership over their own educations commits them to greater engagement, right? And that knowing something, having the kind of personal right. relationship with kids, in other words, knowing something about them, like actually evincing genuine concern and interest in them as humans, right? Not just another like, you know, mm -hmm. little bit of sausage patty for the meat grinder, right? That um, that helps too. So, so when you say you get frustrated because the kids are just turned off, like, are you using those strategies? Are you like letting them take control of like what they want to learn in some way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'll let this be um, my final yeah. word uh, 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 as we approach the end of the podcast, because um, I think this is going to be the one where I give the most. Uh, uh, intimate of my opinion, but also the most uh, voraciously emotional uh, because, yeah, every day, every day that I've ever taught, I've had a student or many students or sometimes most students come to me and say, you know, I either just don't feel like doing this project, uh, I don't want to do this project, or just kind of be like, I don't really... This isn't practical for me, right? I mean, the things that they know about a lot of my students would be something different uh, totally than what I am offering as an educator for a project that's supposed to enrich them. So my strategy has always been, um, and I get this from my, my mother and my father, who were both high school teachers. Uh, my mother is a professor too. And is that you have to reach everybody at the level that they are comfortable with at the time. If you're going to, right, like if you if you want to raise somebody up out of a level that they're at, let's say they're on a staircase and you want to help them get to your level, a part of you has to reach down there to where they are, mm -hmm. right? And I, a part of you has to look and, 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 and understand the context which, which they're in and say, okay, if the, if the goal is to get you to point B, then it doesn't have to be a straight line to get there. And what works for you in a class where there's thousands of kids in the high school, or even if there's only 25 other people in your class, people can still get lost, right? People can get lost in a class of six. So for me, I, I, I have found a lot of success if you just, like you said before, level with them, right? If you say that, look, I understand this is hard and I understand this is not what you want to be doing right now. Um, and I understand that what you want to be doing out of this is not necessarily what other people assume you want to be doing. People assume you want to just be around fucking around and doing nothing all day and playing video games or smoking weed, right? But I don't assume that. I assume that you'd be working hard at something else for your life to get you somewhere. You just inherently don't see what we're teaching as practical or, or relatable or germane to your life. That's just my basic assumption. So when I talk to a student, I say, look, how can I get you just to finish an essay? What, what, what would you write about? What could you write about for a page right now if I could? What do you care about? I had a student like that um, this semester. He said, you know, I just don't want to write a college essay because I'm not going to college. I just don't, I don't get it. I had to have a conversation with him and I said, look, all right, well, tell me, what are you interested in? What, what, what do you see yourself in five years? He says, I want to own a business. I said, oh, well, then you got to start an LLC or an S Corp. And his eyes immediately shot up at me and said, I don't know what those are, but that sounds like something I need to learn about. And so we, I had a conversation with him about, and I, I auditioned for him. I auditioned for him. I auditioned 
my knowledge of a topic that he enjoyed and he liked. I proved that we I was credible and I created rapport. I created rapport out of that credibility. And then he trusted me to say, because you know what? A lot of students are like, yo, if I give you an essay, I'm afraid you're just going to give me a C. So why give you an essay? But if you build a rapport that says, then the student says, you know what? I know what Mr. Williams, I know what Mr. Provence, that I'm going to get a fair shot at a good grade if I put in the work. I think I think that I think that I think that's really well, powerful, I think, and it's and, and it has. I think helped. you're right. I think there's a contract with the student. I would be even more radical, willing to be more radical than than that. Okay, the contract is like, listen, if you. I'm going to write what I'm looking for in advance and let you see that, right? And if you hit those things, and if I see that you have developed yourself, not compared to the other students, everybody's at a different place at the start of a class, right? The A is is if you developed, but right. the thing is I was going to give it to you anyhow because I am confident enough in myself as an educator that I know you're going to learn something. Even if all you want to do is play video games all fucking day, right? There's research to show that a video game is just as good as a novel right. if you're fully engaged with it. And we can talk about like why The Legend of Zelda critically would be so important to people, even though there's a lot to say that's like super conservative Japanese traditional culture in it, right? Like, I mean, there's hero tales from the Shogun era, right, that are, the, are, are, are influential in that, right? So why is that so big with us Yankees? Okay. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> that aside, okay. What I want to say about in, in my, in my closing here is, you know, I'm not so, uh, I'm not so committed to an idea that anything necessarily is important, valuable knowledge, except for a way of thinking, a way of thinking is willing to entertain any idea. Okay. And to look for what is important to the self and to find evidence on which to base one's views, okay? And how to find quality evidence for that, right? And beyond that, I don't think that there's any necessary, like, does someone need to read Moby Dick instead of playing um, Gods of War? I'm not convinced, okay? I'm not convinced that Moby Dick is the more valuable, you know, cultural product, okay? But what I do know is that there's a certain way of thinking that that text needs to be used, whatever it is, to help cultivate, okay? Now, that said, okay, when we get back to the students and the question that you were talking about, writing a paper, okay, does it have to be written? Could it be a video? Could it be a sound essay? Sure. I, my, my one professor, uh, Dr. Parker Katz, we were sitting there having a discussion um, the other day about how educators are educated. And it was so funny. This woman has been teaching, she not only taught for for over a decade, but then she's been teaching on the collegiate level, teachers how to teach both, you know, K through 12 and post-secondary, okay? For decades as well, okay? And she said that, that in the recent past, she was teaching a course and one of her, uh, on, on it was, it was, it was a post-secondary teacher preparation course, right? It was for a TA, right? It was a TA course. Right. And she says this person comes in and she presents this kind of nonlinear syllabus, which is kind of like choose your own adventure, right? You remember choose your own adventure books from when you were a kid? Like how marvelous, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And so it's yeah. kind of like this choose your own adventure syllabus. And she gives it to the kids. Well, not kids, adults, people, right? And one, one woman emails her back and says, that's not a syllabus. 
this is a syllabus. And this person hasn't taught a single course mm-hmm. in their life. And I, you know, Dr. Parker Katz and I were giggling because it was like, she said, how would you deal with that? And I said, oh, I would be absolutely fucking livid, but I would bite my tongue and go in the next room, possibly scream with the door shut. And then I would go back and say, is that the syllabus you want to follow? Because you can follow that syllabus if you'd like. And meanwhile, everybody else can follow this syllabus if they'd prefer. Everybody can follow the syllabus they like best. Which would just blow the mind of this person who thinks you need to have these draconian linear rules of how everything's going to go, right? You say, well, if you want the rules, then you can have the rules, okay? And I think the question is, are we modeling ways of thinking? Are we modeling like self-learning? Are we modeling things that students can take with them? In other words, are we teaching kids to fish or are we just handing them fish? If we're handing, if we're teaching them to fish, then we can have confidence after they've left our class that all the numerous thousands and millions of things that we couldn't possibly ever teach them, right? Like in a literature course, I could never teach every book worth reading. It's impossible. Okay. But if I teach them and model them how to think critically, okay, and how to process information. Okay, and how to think about how to how to how to teach themselves, then I've taught them to fish for the rest of their lives. And I've done my job. Then. And it doesn't matter what I used to do. That, okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter whether they right. know how to record a video essay or write an essay on paper. Okay. Probably is there something to be said for like being able to actually articulate things in written words? Sure. Okay. Maybe because there are people who are a-holes out there who will expect it that way. And maybe I want to frame it for my kids. Like, listen, at some point you're going to have to write something to somebody and they're going to be a real dick if you don't do it well. Okay. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's just the way people are. Okay. Like if you don't do it the way they're expecting, they're going to be douchebags about it. And I can't save you from that as much as I wish I could. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is there are nasty yeah. people in this world. <laughs> and as much as I have care and concern, they never will. Right. So let me just teach you how to appease them for when you run into them. And then you can, you know, spend most of your life avoiding having to deal with those nasty people all the time, but just the few times you accidentally run into them, they won't ruin your life. You know, I'd like to think that that's like a feasible approach, right? I get what you're saying. Like, how do I make, how do I engage in an assignment I'm forced to give? I'm, I'm assuming you're forced to give the paper, right? You can't get out of making them write the paper, right? Right. Yeah. So, and you can't, right. you can't use any like arguments of universal design for learning. Because, you know, the school might be discriminating against people uh, with disabilities if it's forcing people to write papers because people could be dyslexic or they might have some some sort of disability that yeah. precludes their ability to write a paper where they would be able to explain it on a video essay or an audio essay, right? Like, so does the school know that it's um, it's it's actually being discriminatory by imposing this essay requirement? I'm just saying. I'm, I mean, might, I don't think we've. I don't. I, no, no, they no. Might be I'm worried about not, but, of, yeah. of ADA yeah. and No Child Left Behind. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying here. Like, you know, 
because the court ruled in the past decade that you know every school has to offer a substantial uh, you, you know, a, an ability to substantially acquire the same skills and knowledge as other kids. And if you're setting up, you know, must have assignments as a school and not offering any kind of universal design for learning, then you're discriminating against those students, in which case you're running afoul of what the courts have ruled is constitu- a constitutional right to an equal education. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, you know, yeah, I right. love to like, go to them, go to them, just like, well, I think, I think, I think, I think, uh, I think we'll have to table the rest of that for another conversation. I mean, obviously that's just a whole, whole other rabbit hole to go down, you know, but I want to thank my audience for listening to this episode. I mean, I think me and Phil, obviously we're, we're friends. We know each other very well. So, uh, we, 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 we have very spirited ideas and, and, and spirited conversations, obviously. But, you know, I think uh, this conversation was especially uh, riveting in that we're, we're really we're, we're both two people that work in this field and we really care about the outcomes and not just the outcomes. We care about the process uh, from from head to toe. Right. I mean, just like ancient man used to eat animals from tail to nose. You know, you you have to consider the 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 the, the whole life of not only a student, but the educators and the building and everything that goes on with educational experience and we want it to be an experience right we want it to be something where the kid says this was worth it this was worth my time and got me to where once i was old enough to be rational and mature and make decisions for myself it got me to where i I really wanted to go so phil any last words on that you know parents teach your children well i guess so as the song says right yeah. yeah, and teachers, and teachers. Yeah. teachers. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, Trenders, for uh, tuning in. Remember, we're better when we trend together. Please do like, share, and subscribe. We are a global podcast. And I just want to also say that uh, thank you for those who have bought my book recently, Reborn Virtues Constellation. You've helped make it a, a bestseller on Amazon. So if you haven't bought the book, uh, do buy it. It's Reborn Virtues Constellation. You can get that at thereborn.series.com or you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books that. are found. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But thank you all and uh, see you next time.